Well, Merry Christmas Eve to everybody. We have not met. My name is Josiah, one of the pastors here at River of Life. Uh, we're just glad you could join with us today. Um, I, I love gathering with this community. Uh, I especially love it on days like today that just kind of carry a little bit of extra weight. Days of spiritual importance for me. Uh, they, they feel sort of empty when I'm not able to, to gather with other people that are celebrating uh, for the same reason that I am. And so just, I, I love this. And uh, I love that it falls on a Sunday morning this year. I think it kind of just gives a slightly different feel to it. Um, and, and I think that's important because if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful as, as Christians or really as anybody, like holidays, things that we do, uh, times of reflection, they, they can begin to feel the same. Just every single time, over and over. Like, it's kind of just the same thing. And, and some of that can be good. Like, tradition and nostalgia are great. Uh, the problem is, is when tradition and nostalgia lose their spark, and instead it just becomes routine. All right? And, and when we just have our life filled with routine over and over, uh, it, it just it loses that, that specialness. And, and so we talk about this often on, on typical Sunday mornings. Like, if we just show up and we go through the motions... Uh, it's just another Sunday. You know, here I am at church again, just kind of checking that box. And uh, honestly, it becomes something that we just do to do it at that point. Um, it's become routine. And instead, we need to approach these moments with kind of excitement and expectation. Um, and, and that matters for us. This is another opportunity for us to be changed, for, for us to be changed for the better, to be more like uh, what we were created to be. And so something that can help us approach moments of repetition with expectancy is to look at it differently, to kind of change your lens. All right, and so I like to try to approach things like uh, specifically Easter and Christmas. Uh, sometimes, like personally, I like to approach it just a little differently each year. And what that does is it just kind of, uh, it, it makes me focus in a little bit more grab some details that I've probably missed before, uh, and just kind of gives it a little bit more of a special meaning to me. And so I want to do that together this morning with the Christmas story. Okay, we're going to look at the Christmas story, and this is, we've already heard it even once in this service. We've heard multiple scripture readings talking about it, okay? It's a story that most likely you've heard before. So how do we change that? How do we make that be something, again, not change the story, how do we change our perspective so this is something that is not just routine, it's something that matters for us. So I want us to be ready for something new. Let's be expecting that God has something for each and every one of us. I believe that he does. doesn't matter if this is your church, you've been coming here forever, this is your first time walking through the doors, uh, I believe that God has something for you today. So if you would, if you're willing, if you're able, would you stand with me? I want to just kind of pray uh, before we just move on with the rest of our service here and, and, and finish this morning together. So, God, we are so thankful for this community that we have, this time that we have, that we can gather together. Lord, we are thankful for this season and what it means. God, I pray that for each one of us, that we, would, we wouldn't let this just become routine. God, that this would be something special, it would be something different, and it would be something that changes us. So, Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Last week, we had our kids program here, if you were lucky enough to be here for that. Um, and afterwards, I, I talked about kids and actually how we often see kids versus how Jesus seems to see kids when we look at Scripture. Um, what I kind of said is for us, okay, I won't put words in your mouth. For me, 
As a parent with three kids, who I love every single one of them, we often can see kids through a lens of like being irresponsible, immature, Maybe you're trying to get something done and they kind of keep coming and, and, and they're asking questions or doing this. And like, if you're not careful, you can almost see them as being annoying. You see them as goofy, as selfish, like all these different things that we'd say were kind of negative characteristics, all right? Now, you all are sitting there judging me, being like, you are a terrible parent, all right? And my kids are in the room, they're hearing this right now. No, like, I love my children, okay? I love my children so much. But when we're being honest, we can view kids in this way. And maybe actually even more than your own kids, you might start to see other kids that way. If you're out at the restaurant and your kids are making a mess, well, it's fine. It's your kids. You look over at the table there and you're like, oh, man, look at that family. That is so, it's such a mess over there. There is nobody more, I've said this before, nobody more judgmental than young couples who don't have kids yet looking at families as kids. I'm just going to be honest, okay? Like you just, you look at it and you're like, I wouldn't do that. Really? Let's give it a few years and we'll see. All right? No, so, but Jesus, Jesus actually, he tries to flip the script of how we view kids. Um, and he says this, he says to be like kids. Multiple times we were reading these passages last week. And we started saying, well, what does that mean? What is Jesus trying to say? Like, okay, am I just supposed to be a little more irresponsible? Like, I can do that. You want me to do that? That's, that's easy. Uh, but as we dug into this, we're like, okay, think about the things that kids have that are just so incredibly valuable. Kids are humble. Kids are curious. They're eager. They're trusting. They're adventurous. They're innocent. And they are full of awe as they approach life. So then we challenged ourselves to ask, ask a question of ourselves last week. How can I approach God this Christmas season in a more childlike way? All right, and so that was our challenge last week. Hopefully this past week you've been able to kind of find ways to do that. And if, in case that didn't sink in, all right, we are going to kind of double down a little bit on some of this idea here today in the Christmas story. And so before we even jump into reading any of this passage, I want, I want you to stop and think about this. Like, how crazy is it that God chose to come into our world as an infant? Like, I think we often write this off and we're just like, well, it, it was God and he had God protecting him. So, you know, everything's fine. But you're like, okay, how, how crazy is it he came as an infant and we, we talked about this two weeks ago. This was a plan, three and a half thousand years in the making. All right, if I were making a plan for three and a half thousand years, and then I'm like, right now, now's the time to make this happen. I can tell you this. I would be looking for like every possible thing to be like, this is going to be successful. I am going to choose the best person for this. I'm, I'm going to be grabbing like an adult that is responsible, has proven themselves, or, you know, like just coming on the scene as this fully mature, fully healthy adult. Instead, God chooses a child. And there's so many things that could go wrong. Like think about this, even just through like the pregnancy, through delivery, through the growing and the aging, the maturing, the development. What if he gets in with the wrong friends? I mean, come on, like, is God going to be peer pressured by the wrong group? And you're sitting there kind of like processing this. And I know, again, I, I think I often like write some things off because I'm just like, he's God. He's Jesus. You know, he, he gets a pass and everything. Well, the scripture is very clear that he lived a life just like you and I would. And so he, he goes through all of these things. All right. Another crazy thing, and this compounds off the first one, is okay, God's coming as an infant. You'd be like, all right, if we're going to do this, let's find the most like safety conscientious, 
responsible, careful person we can, and that's where the infant's going. God chooses for this infant to then go to an unmarried teenager, right? And, and like we just think, you know, teenager and responsibility, those are our synonyms, right? That's what we all think. Okay, we're on the same page. This is, this is crazy. All right, I'm going to read this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married and, uh, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So this plan starts off with an infant and so many possibilities. And then the, church, the person that is chosen to be put in charge is a teenager. You got to love it. You got to love how God operates. And before any message is ever given, Mary, I love this, Mary's already confused and disturbed. Like the angel shows up, right? And, and could you imagine if you were like baking Christmas cookies this last week and all of a sudden in your kitchen, there's an angel that shows up that you visibly can see. Just think about what you'd be feeling. It says Mary was, was confused and disturbed. All right, I kind of love that, that. It's just wild. Angel shows up. Now he says, hey, by the way, you are now, you're going to be pregnant. You're pregnant. Okay, this is even crazier. This is ridiculous. And if those first two aren't enough, then the angel says this baby is actually the long-awaited Messiah. That, you know, you and your people have been waiting for for three and a half thousand years. That's who you're pregnant with. Can you imagine what Mary is feeling in this moment? And yet, I love how she responds. If you skip down to verse 38, it says, Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And I think this is, this is part of why God probably chose basically a child to raise the child. Think of what we said this last week. Think of all the things, the list of characteristics. Being humble, curious, eager, trusting, adventurous, innocent, full of awe. Like, you need those characteristics to make this plan work. All right? This plan is not going to work on its own. It's just a teenager. Like, you, you need to have the, that type of a mindset, those qualities like she did. If an adult were given this message, I think we would be like, okay, hold on here. I have a million questions, and you're going to sit here and answer every single one of them. But Mary's just like, all right, let's do this. I'm your servant, whatever you need. And then this, the last thing that kind of blows my mind in this story of how I would probably picture this plan coming about is now for the next 30 years, we almost hear nothing about Jesus. This plan, it sounds wild. I would almost expect like a play-by-play -play of how it's going. And basically the only details that we get are not great He's born and then swiftly placed into a livestock feeding trough, right? Like that's where, again, you're like, okay, yep, I could see a teenager doing this. Hold on. This is not sanitary. Let's wipe this down. Let's find somewhere else. How about you just hold him? He's placed into a feeding trough. 
we hear little more about the beginning of Jesus' life. You know, he's fleeing the country because a king wants to kill him. And then the only thing we hear about for the next 25 to 30 years is this wild story where Mary and Joseph lose the Son of God for roughly five days. <laughs> like, well, he is 12 in a major city. They go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and at the end, Mary and Joseph, they take off along with like tens of thousands of other people that traveled in there for this celebration, and they're walking, and they walk an entire day thinking that Jesus is just with other kids, with friends. They get there that night, they can't find him. And so then they take off walking, you know, they walked an entire day away, so that's how math works and how travel works, you now have to walk a whole day back. Then they get there and they look for him for three days, and they can't find him. Like, I thought that the parents in Home Alone were bad. Like, or maybe you feel like you're a bad parent when you lose your kid in Coburn's for like 30 seconds, or you forgot to pick them up on time at school. Like, well, what if Jesus would have died? Like, how do you answer that? And that, that's the only check-in that we get for 25 years. And I am sure that Mary was like, if she died ahead of Luke, who wrote this, she's probably just waiting for him. Like, seriously, the one thing you're going to update people on? You couldn't have picked any of the other 10,000 days that I was in charge of him. You picked those five days where I lost him. And that's what's going to be saved for thousands of years for everyone to read about me. Like, I'm sure she's got a bone to pick with him. The next time we see Jesus is at his baptism. And I, I am blown away when I think about how God's massive plan actually played out. Like we talk about how God has chosen from the beginning of creation to partner with humanity in his plan. He's chosen to partner with you and with I, which is crazy. We screw up all the time and God still wants to partner with us. He is still partnering with us today. Look how many times like we get it wrong and how, how much we mess up Think about how messed up the modern church is, right? Like we, we'd love to sit here and say, oh, the church is amazing. And yet every time we, we turn around, we see some other story of something going wrong and someone being in trouble and they didn't have accountability and this happened and the church imploded and now people are hurt. And it's like things are so incredibly messed up and God is still choosing to partner with us. That, that says a lot about his character, and when you give someone free will, then you give them choices to make. Like, and every time you give someone a choice, think about this, when you give someone a choice, you are extending trust that they are going to make a good choice. Right? Like, if you're a parent in the room, think about when you let your kids make a choice, um, most often, unless it's something that doesn't matter, you're like, I really hope they make this choice. You know, you have one that you're like, this is a better choice, but I need to let you kind of mature and see if you can make this. Every time you give someone a choice, it requires trust. And all over the Christmas story, God is extending his trust. And not just to super trustworthy people, to a teenager. And what's crazy, many scholars actually think that, that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, probably died. We see him in the story when he's 12. And then you don't see him again which would be really weird in this type of writing if Joseph were still around, that he's not mentioned, he's not at the cross, just Mary's at the cross. And so here's, here, here's this story of him at, 
at 12, we see him, and then he's gone. And so God's son was sent as an infant to a teenager in a messy situation where she probably became a single mother in a world where that was almost impossible. That is a radical level of trust that God placed into this situation. And she then had a huge responsibility at a young age. And that responsibility continued. And so here's what I have. Here's what I want us to take away from the Christmas story this morning and to be thinking about this week as you're with family, as you're celebrating. If you remember one thing here, when radical trust is given, it results in radical responsibility. Think about this. It applies everywhere. When radical trust is extended and given to somebody, it results for that other person in a huge amount of responsibility. God trusted Mary and Joseph in a radical way, in a way that I struggle to even comprehend. And this resulted in radical responsibility for them. For us today, this is, this is why this matters. God has trusted us. Jesus has trusted the church to continue his mission of seeing his kingdom come on earth as in heaven. And that is a huge responsibility. And it has so many different facets. And, and that is what our entire lives, or at least what they, what they should be about, if we've chosen to follow him. And maybe that's too big to try and fully comprehend today. And so we can kind of just start with, with, with this one, okay? We can take our first step from the Christmas story. The shepherds go and visit Jesus. They're given this message that the Messiah, that the Savior is born. They go and see him, all right? The one who is changing everything. The one who has made a way for us to God. Who can set things right. Who can give hope for the future. Um, all of this. Everything was changed when Jesus was born. And they go and see him. And then they are trusted with this message. And what we see is that it then becomes a responsibility for that message to continue. Luke chapter 2 verse 17 said this, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Each one of us have been entrusted with this same message and therefore we have the same responsibility to not keep this message to ourselves. Jesus says before being taken into God's presence, his last words recorded by Luke are that you are to be witnesses and you are supposed to go into the world telling everybody about him and what he has done. That's what Jesus has told us. That is Jesus' plan. That is God's plan for the world to know him. He chose his followers. Okay, so maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, yep, I'm following Jesus. Then this is you. He's chosen you to go into the world and to share this message. And there is not a plan B. That's his plan. He has put a radical amount of trust in you and I. And that results in a radical amount of responsibility that you and I both have. Have you ever stopped and thought about how much, like, the creator of the universe, how much God puts his trust in you? In all different ways, even when it comes to to raising kids, to caring for this world, to committing to to a spouse potentially, and most importantly, to representing him to this world, he's trusting us. 
He's trusting us. God is radically trusting you. And so in response to the Christmas season, followers of Jesus have a responsibility of continuing to bring and tell the hope and love that Jesus inaugurated, that he started when he came. All right? And that, that's where we are. That's what Christmas, that's a focus that we need to have. So here's what I want to do. Ushers, you guys can get ready with the candles. Why don't we stand together? We are going to close this service with lighting candles and, and singing one more song together. All right, and here's what I want. I want us to kind of keep a little bit of this, a little bit of this more somber attitude, a little bit more of this kind of reflective position in our life right now as we go into this. And, you know, at some point here, ushers are going to be coming up and they're going to be lighting a candle and you're going to kind of pass the flame to the person next to you. I get it. Pay attention to that. We would love to not burn the church down on Christmas Eve. Pay attention to your kids if they're holding fire, okay? At the same time as we're doing this, I want us, instead of potentially being distracted by the things going on around us, to be able to just kind of focus in. And so as we hold those candles, remember, like this, this candle, this light, we are called to be a light to this world. We are called to represent God. That people could see us in the darkness and see that something's different. So as you hold these candles, think about what this means. Think, to, think about what it means in your life. So ushers, you guys can come up front. I'm going to pray, and then they'll start lighting candles. All right? As they're lighting candles, after I pray, we're going to have one more scripture reading, and I want us to just kind of listen to that, to be able to focus in with that. All right? And then we're going to sing Silent Night together and then I'll come back up at the end and I'll pray and we'll blow the candles out together. All right? But let's just kind of focus in. So God, we just, we ask right now, Lord, that, that we would take this responsibility seriously. God, that we would be the light in the same type of way that we're holding a light here. God, that we would be that light that is needed. Lord, to our family, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our neighborhoods, to our cities. God, that something would be different about us, Lord, that we would represent you well. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.